Today's guest is Izzy Rosenzweig. Now, he's the founder of Portless, but he's a generational entrepreneur who inherited from his father, who inherited from his father. And the story is truly one of grit. And as you know, this podcast spirit is behind the idea of grit, perseverance, overcoming. And that's what we're going to talk about here, but predominantly also going to focus on the innovations that are happening in the supply chain because of Izzy's work. So if you're in e-commerce, this is the episode for you. And I don't care if you're focused on the bigger names in drop shipping, or if you're a young upstart as far as a company is concerned and looking to find ways to get a competitive edge and to bring down your overhead costs, but also maximize profits. Sounds like something that anyone in e-commerce would want. So without further ado, Izzy Rosenzweig, CEO and founder of Portless. Okay. Izzy Rosenzweig, it is an absolute pleasure to have you here. We got a chance to chat a little before we got started. But for the listener, why don't you let us know how you're feeling today, what the overall vibe is? Yeah, Philip, super excited to be here. Uh, Super excited to chat with you. And I know, uh, I was just telling you before the call, the name of your podcast, I just love it. I think there's nothing more important than grit. So excited to connect with you, excited to be on your podcast, and excited to be chatting. Yeah, that's actually, I love that specifically because your family has grit. That was where I was going to start the entire conversation was you come from a family legacy of entrepreneurs, people with grit, right? How how do you think your family's legacies influenced your ability to think differently about supply chain, which is sort of your wheelhouse and specialty? Yeah. So I think as an entrepreneur, and I'm sure every entrepreneur understands this, when things change, you need the grit. You need to be able to persevere and just push forward. So the way I've seen in my family, just go back a little bit, going backwards. Uh, my grandfather survived the Holocaust, You know, didn't have much family. He moved to Canada pretty much by himself with one sister. And he started, uh, he worked at a factory for a while, but then eventually started his own factory. And for the next 30 years, if you ran a factory in the US or Canada, you probably did really well. And in the 1980s, that is when containers became industrialized. Container shipping from overseas has only happened in the 1980s. So you had we have we had was a lot of entrepreneurs then either they would pivot and through pain understanding that supply chain was changing, they let's say partnered with new factories, were agile and evolved, uh, or they refused to pivot and eventually a lot of manufacturers went bankrupt. My grandfather actually went very niche. But most companies that pivoted and and saw the opportunity coming did extremely well. So in the 1980s, growing when I was growing up and my father took over and ran the business to the early 2000s, um, I saw how something, a change in supply chain infected an entire industry. Like right now, you're local of your niche. Otherwise, the customers got to win. You got to manufacture the best press product for the best price. So that is how I saw growing up. And, and, and now in uh, over the last 10 years by our business, um, we've been in the logistics of air logistics, which is the idea of getting a package delivered to your front door, but not from a local 3PL, uh, a brand imports and then ships it from New York. We actually ship it near the factories. So we do within six business days delivered to anyone in the States, a local experience to the customer, USPS tracking number. They get an order. The next day, they have USPS tracking number, full local experience within six days, delivered to their front door. 
but we're shipping that next from the next to factories. And that is just game changing from a cash flow perspective for brands. It's game changing from uh, money saving, no container fees. You save money in import duties, accessing international markets. So what, what I built Portless, which is the helping brands leverage this model, to me is 1980s all over again. If you're in e-commerce, this is going to be the e-commerce of the future of the next 10 years. We've already done millions and millions of packages in this model. Either you got to have the ability to pivot and, and move your business to a healthier, you know, cash flow business, um, or it's going to get tougher and tougher. So to me, it's like, I've seen this before. I've seen this show before. This is happening again. Um, and that's, you know, that's why I'm in this industry and, and how I landed in it and been building it for the last 10 years. Yeah, no, that's that's big, especially uh, with a culture where everyone's talking about drop shipping and you know selling on Amazon or even just having their own online store, the DIY community with Etsy, and just so many people depend on the traditional or status quo of the logistics involved in, in the supply chain of how people get product. Right, it comes from predominantly, let's say China and, you know, let's say our relations aren't doing that well right now. And so what that, what that does to being able to get product over, even Apple has to reconsider the way things are going. And so what you're saying is you've developed a model where it can be more localized and ship from there to wherever it needs to go to the consumer, uh, as opposed to having to fly all the way over to a warehouse where it's then kept. And then you have, you're paying for all that overhead and then the imports. And t- is it, did I understand that correctly? Yeah, essentially. And, and, and I'll, I'll add to that. To your point, we're not only China the consumer. China is our biggest hub. We also have operations in Vietnam. Right now, there's a, a, line, a, a line to get into that operations. But within four months, we'd open it to everyone. But the idea is, to your point, the traditional model of putting everything on a shipping container, waiting 60, 90 days, that is very painful from a cash flow perspective. So the direct-to-consumer market is huge. Customers want to buy stuff from brands. Brands are servicing it. It's $176 billion in the United States. But it's hard on cash flow. It's hard for entrepreneurs to just start a business tomorrow. You need a ton of money. Excuse me. You need a ton of money. You got to take a ton of risk. You got to bring it in, pay the container fees, pay them for duties, and hope you sell. And this model that we're building for people is you don't need to do that. You could take less risk. You could buy lighter MOQs from your factory, test the model. And if it does well, restock. It takes us two days to restock. So for us, it's really helping um, brands have better cash flow access, you know, more markets, but even new companies that want to, um, that are just starting to test and want to test new products to do in a much less risky way and run healthier businesses. So it, yeah, it, it is a total curveball in, in supply chain for, for brands. Yeah, no, that's, that's what you call outside of the box thinking, right? Uh, that's, that's exactly what that is. So the, at what point for you in particular, did you like? Did you just start off in the supply chain side of things, or were you? Did you inherit the business as well, and then said to yourself, "There's got to be a better way because the overhead." Like, what caused that decision to Great occur? Question. Where you started looking at that? I say a lot of it's luck. So in the early days, I was actually bringing containers, and I was getting killed because I have a product; it did really well, but I only had a certain amount of product, and I missed Christmas season or I missed summer season. So I did that for a bunch of years. Then I got uh, really, honestly, super lucky. And I met the former CFO of Alibaba. He a, became an advisor and eventually an investor. And he's like, by the way, there's this evolving space where you could um, put these small packages on planes 
and bring them to the States and inject them into USBS or to London, into the Royal Mail or Australia Post at very affordable rates. So now I'm like, okay, I'm going to check this out. And I started doing it. And, you know, we hockey sticked, right? We started shipping millions and millions of packages. Um, and then, but the early days, to your point, like you mentioned dropship, people are like, oh, dropship, the, you know, quality sucks. And they're not wrong. Dropship has a bad name because it's all about the brand. Who's representing the quality of the product? Apple manufacturers in China, they're a great brand. So we say is that the magic here is, is not, it, the brand has to do the QA. The brand has to find the factors they love. The magic here is in supply chain. So we started doing that. We actually had really good quality control in our consumer business. Then we started getting inbound and we had our investors saying, you got to talk to this portfolio company because this one's, you know, money's not cheap anymore. You know, it's expensive to run this business. So you start talking to portfolio companies. And then over the next year, we said, you know what, instead of doing this for ourselves, we want to help thousands of brands run with this model so everyone could run better cash flow businesses and more profitable businesses. So really, honestly, evolution, I had the pain points in all the different parts of that industry and then got really lucky. It's just the entrepreneur and you you, you, were, you became more useful to more people, which is something that I've found to be the ever uh, constant in, yeah. in entrepreneurs who are constantly evolving. Uh, and you just saw an opportunity and you said, I can not only help a lot more people, but usually what that means in business is if you're helping a lot more people, you're also making a lot more money. It's <laughs> <laughs> a so win-win, right? And I agree with that. I, I don't see any problem with that at all. No. <laughs> uh, okay, so then out of all this change, what has been the most unexpected thing that you've seen come from all this? Has there been any surprises in the development of all this and this transition? Yeah, yeah. I think for us, it, it was such a curveball to realize how difficult it would be to, to build infrastructure there. So again, we did this for ourselves. We were there for 10 years, but then we wanted to build their infrastructure there. It took about two years two years to go live with infrastructure in China. And we realized like, okay, if it took us two years, it's a huge pain. Why, you know, who's going to want to do this for themselves? And right now we know brands that have done it for themselves. For example, Sheen runs this model. And I'm going to again bring up, people don't like the quality of Sheen's product. Yeah. <laughs> brands. Whatever you sell, you can sell. But the supply chain is the magic, right? Supply chain is why they run such a profitable business. So they built it for themselves, but no one has done it. Uh, we also did it for ourselves. It took us two years. And it was, I did not realize how hard it would be to do it. And we got very lucky. We have like, you know, ex-Alibaba executives that were originally advisors and helping with operations. Uh, understanding how difficult it was to build that was actually a huge surprise, but it also made us realize how important it was to share our infrastructure to other people to leverage. Yeah, no, that's big. And what a name brand to choose because I remember going to visit family and jumping on their Wi-Fi. And the minute I did that, they must have so many more advertising dollars because of the change in the supply chain uh, structure. Because as soon as I jumped on, all I saw were ads for that. I was like, I never even shop for this kind of stuff. But that's the other thing, right? It opens up the avenues to be able to spend your money where it makes more sense as opposed to dealing with all that, right? We're like, the dumbest place to put money is in debt. <laughs> Or inventory on a boat. Like no one is gaining from that. It's the most inefficient use of capital. Like hire people, build brand relationship, partnerships, market. Um, yeah. So to your point, it's it's just use money in better places. I mean, I, I'm I'm loving this conversation. And you said that there's currently a line 
to get involved with what you're building as because, you know, you can only handle so much at a time. Uh, what's that looking like? And what are some of the challenges you're facing with being able to, to create more room for onboarding more brands? Yeah, great question. So for China, we're good. China, we could do up to 100,000 orders a day. So we have a plenty of room in China and we help entrepreneurs with last minute because factories delayed, Christmas is coming up. If you put on a boat, you miss the season. I'll give you an example. <laughs> Your factory was late for Halloween. They would have missed the entire Halloween season. But now two days after uh, they met us, they're putting inventory of us. They're catching Halloween. So Vietnam. So Vietnam, we're building operations there. We have our beta customers we're working with. Because our vision, again, it's, it's not only China. China happens to have the most sophisticated factories, has to have the most sophisticated supply chain, et cetera. But we see the vision of it's factory to consumer. In this world, it's a much smaller world, you know, every year with logistics wow. and technology. We live in a small world. So it's not just China. It's going to be Vietnam. It's going to be Thailand. Right now, we have a waiting list for Vietnam. Uh, but we think we can open that to the public in about four months. Wow. Yeah. Let's just, let's just take a moment to appreciate the origin again from a grandfather who worked at a factory, right? then started their own factory, which for most people would have been the accomplishment right then and there, right? Yeah. So not only continuing the legacy with having more profits come in and things uh, and things scale up as your father takes over, and then you come in and you go, we're going global with this and we're going to open it up. And now you're looking at how to help other companies do this and expand into areas that most people haven't even considered when it comes to e-commerce, because as far as they're concerned, well, there's no other way. You said, we're making other ways, right? Let's just take a moment to appreciate the the scale of what it is you're accomplishing. Uh, if you did have the opportunity to discuss this with uh, the original gangster, if you will, right, that started all this, what do you think would, would take place in that conversation? That's a great one. Yeah, that'd be funny. I think I think there'd be some, some he was a very funny guy. He has a great sense of humor. And I think he would find it very funny where shipping containers disrupted his industry. <laughs> We're disrupting shipping containers. We're saying go portless. You don't need to use ports. So I think you would have a great laugh of what disrupted an industry is now we have an opportunity to disrupt their industry. Yes. No. Oh, man. It's just, it's one of those things where oftentimes most would be defeated by the changes in an environment and you're looking at this and getting ahead of it and using it as an advantage. Where do you think that comes from? Is this something that people can learn or is it just, is it, is it because it's in your blood as an entrepreneur, as a, as a, as a generational entrepreneur that you're able to see these things? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think, I think many people have it. I think as any entrepreneur that pursues business, and I think that's where grit and perseverance, I think it's literally the most important words in business is things are not going to go your way. Things are always going to go wrong. It's just about your reaction. So if you're someone that could take that and see pain as opportunity, you'll be successful no matter what industry you go into. And some people don't want that. They just don't want to deal with it. And that's okay. And you could get great jobs and, and then that, that is own, you know, his own difficulties in, in it. But I think uh, anyone that loves business, loves uh, pursuing and building, uh, it's going to be in their blood. It doesn't need to be generational. Uh, you know, I have a lot of friends that do it. You know, their father is a doctor, a lawyer, or not someone in the entrepreneur world. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people have it. And it's just putting it to work, being okay to fail, being okay to test. I think that's all part of it. 
Yeah, I mean, that's something that while it's all great that we're talking about this expansion into alternative uh, ways of shipping things and actually going portless, as your company is called, right? Portless.com, shameless plug. <laughs> uh, the truth is, for, for most people, they don't realize the 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 risks involved in trying to invest in that direction and, and bearing all that risk as you're one pioneering this road. And yet here you are actually too much demand and you're like, hold on, there's a wait line for what's going on. That's got to be pretty funny to you so far, like watching this happen and also exciting at the same time. Totally. And and someone actually was, I was talking to someone once about business. It's like the highs are high and the lows are low, right? It's a roller coaster. You just got to be able to hold on through the ups and downs of the roller coaster. But definitely now we're like, holy crap, you know, we just have massive incoming demand uh, from the podcast that go on, we talk about it, and everyone's like, of course, like who doesn't want to save money? Who doesn't want to have better cash flow? Um, and we think we're just the beginning of this, you know, evolving space. Um, and we're, we're super excited about it. So who would you suggest uh, gets in touch with you? If they're listening to this and their business is XYZ, who would be the most ideal people to be in touch with you as we speak? Great question. So I would say anyone that manages, uh, manufactures the product, I would say Vietnam or China, uh, and their products are on the lighter end. So we can't do refrigerators. We can't do right. uh, products. If you're in the apparel, cosmetic, jewelry, accessory, any of those small stuff, let's say under even five pounds, we get very interesting. The lighter the product is, our rates get more and more interesting. Like we could do a quarter pound for four forty nine to continents of the US, you know, four forty four to the UK. Um, and, and we do about 50 countries, all local experience. So lighter end, the manufacturer in one of these countries, uh, I think we could definitely have a very interesting conversation with our team. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm loving that. So then, okay. So let's talk about this. So you've got them hooked now, anyone who is relevant, right? Where do you want them to go? What do you want them to do when they get there? Yeah, great question. So first thing is, we meet them, we understand their business, and usually it's very clear if it's a fit. In most cases, if it's lightweight, people are jumping to come on board. We have this easy Shopify app. We integrate 15-minute Zoom call. You just tell us exactly what products you want to work with us. You map it. And then you just tell your factory, send our address. We can arrange pickup as well, whatever is easier. And once that's going, people, I mean, we encourage crawl, walk, run, like test us, test us for one product, 50 orders, 100 orders. People end up doing that. They love it. They send up more SKU, more inventory. And then we eventually, you know, almost every customer we've worked with, we put in response to taking over most of their catalog. And then what I tell customers are, you know, this is U.S. Historically, when people think outside of the U.S., it's a very scary place. And we say, no, it's not a scary place. Shopify markets, click of a button, all your currencies translated. All the customs in all these other markets we deal with with the carriers in advance. Every customer that you should sell anywhere in the world will have a local experience. Germany, Royal Mail, Australia Post, Canada Post. So all of a sudden you get access to international markets. And we say that should be 30% of your business at a minimum. Cheaper marketing dollars, cheaper CPM, cheaper cost per click. Uh, and customers will love to find your product from anywhere in the world. So slowly onboard with them, expand with them, but then also encourage them to test international markets. You know, as I'm, I'm listening to you say this, I think to myself, a lot of people are afraid of going against the grain in particular if they're selling only on Amazon, right? Uh, and, and I say that because that's the big kahuna for most people, right? They're like, they're, how are we supposed to compete with that? But what I'm hearing is you're opening up the floodgates for someone to do pretty well, whether they're on Amazon or not. Is Am I understanding this correctly? Exactly. And I think to what you said before, you can't compete if you're playing the same game. 
Yeah. You simply have to play a different game. Think a different supply. Now, Amazon, this doesn't work for because Amazon needs same or next day delivery. Now, a lot of our customers uh, bring on to Amazon and they, they do FBA injections. We still do that for our customers. But if you have a brand, people are buying from your website. There's something unique about your brand that doesn't exist on Amazon. So A, you have your brand. Now you're going to have a better supply chain and you're going to access international markets. Play a different game. That's how you can be. Yeah, I just felt that was worth highlighting because that is definitely something that a lot of people see is, oh, there's never any way we're going. And you're like, don't even play that game. I'm building a new game and you're all invited. There is a wait list though. So, you know, <laughs> Izzy, man, I, I really appreciate you breaking all that down. So am I correct in understanding they can go to portlist.com uh, yeah, to, to, to figure out all the things, connect with you and all that? Or do you prefer for them to connect with you on LinkedIn or what yeah, else? So portlist.com has like a ton of information. You can understand the model better. There's case studies. Uh, you could like just learn so much about us. You could book... Uh, in on the website, a direct calendar with our team. You could have a meeting. We meet with everyone that reaches out. Uh, or if they want to follow me, I'm on LinkedIn or Twitter. I love engaging with the community. I'm always posting content about supply chain. I am a supply chain nerd. To me, I find it so exciting. Uh, but I, uh, but it's all questions on entrepreneurship, right? Like, you know, pivots in iOS 14 and the grit when, you know, all when Facebook changed and bans your account. All that stuff is stuff I live through. And I, I love engaging with the DVC community. You know, it's funny you bring that up. I, I think it would be just before we sign off, one interesting question to get your opinion on it, because this is your wheelhouse, is what is your opinion on what Apple has been doing? And you can, you know, you can pass on this, but what with the supply chain issues that they're facing and, you know, Tim Cook being the supply chain guy, like, what are your thoughts on this? With, with India? Uh, with with everything, yeah, with India, you know, the the way TSMC is uh, being forced to be reconsidered, they're moving the factory to Arizona. There's all these things going on that yeah. can't be easy for smart. a massive company like that. No, it can't be easy, but it's smart. Like you got to do what's smart for your business, and that's why even that's why we have customers in Vietnam, right? And we have we have customers that are also in Thailand that we're working with. You know, I think if. Uh, right now, a lot of customers are using China because it is, is the most sophisticated factory in the world, right? There's factories everywhere. You can make anything you need high quality. Now, I do believe it's not going anywhere, right? Because export for China is fundamental to their economy, right? So I don't believe that's going anywhere. I don't think China will ever risk that part of their economy. But if you're a big company and you're willing to take what's called uh, a supply chain risk, we can help you with that, right? We're in Vietnam. We're, we also have people in Thailand. And I think that is smart. So what Apple's doing on the supply chain side is smart, uh, as well as what they're doing on the privacy side, right? Like iOS 14. I actually agree with that. Even though it, it killed marketing, it took you know Facebook meta two years to fix the algorithm. And we went through that. But I think it makes sense for the business. So whatever makes sense for your business, uh, I think, you know, I, I encourage it. I know. Thank you for indulging that. I know it was a way open-ended, way out of the, the field question, but I just felt it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up with someone who really does look at every nook and cranny of supply chain to yeah. continue to innovate it, which funny enough, most people, when they're thinking about innovation, they're thinking about products. Rarely do they ever get into how an ecosystem and the systems and processes of that. Like, these are macro problems that you're addressing in business. And that is a different game to play for sure. So anyone I think that has listened to this episode can not only look to you to sign up for your services, but I would encourage them to follow you specifically because of the way you continue to educate yourself on the processes that are so vital to the very fabric of people's businesses. Those are just my two cents on things. You know what I mean? Uh, so with that said, Izzy, thank you so much for stopping by. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. 
Thank you, Phil, for having me. This has been super fun. I really appreciate it.